This is the Table for 10 Billion podcast from the World Bank, supported by the Food Systems 2030 Trust Fund. I'm Sarah Trino. This is the sound of seaweed being processed in a facility in Zanzibar, Tanzania. Women here are taking seaweed that they and their co-workers have gathered from the shallows of the Indian Ocean in which these islands sit and are turning it into cosmetics. These products will then be packed up, shipped out and sold internationally. But these kinds of uses for seaweeds, such as cosmetics and soaps, are merely a drop in the ocean when it comes to the business opportunities globally offered by this often overlooked commodity. Many of us probably haven't thought that much about seaweed, maybe walking past a clump on a beach, possibly pausing to think about how it's used in food such as sushi. But for tens of thousands just on the islands of Zanzibar, seaweed is a crucially important commodity, providing livelihoods for families for generations. And it's not just here. Seaweed is a crop providing countless incomes for people globally. In fact, a recent World Bank report estimated that 10 emerging global seaweed markets have the potential to grow up to $11.8 billion in value by 2030. The women we heard earlier processing Zanzibar's abundant seaweed into soaps and creams aren't actually typical. Indeed, most sell on the seaweed they gather, and processing like this or for a plethora of other products is done after export. Adding value to the seaweed harvest is crucial to the growth of seaweed markets and the prosperity of those working with it. So how can seaweed realise its global market potential to something which will boost economies, provide stable jobs and even offer some surprising climate change solutions? That's what we'll be discussing here on the podcast. We'll be hearing from people innovating with seaweed in some surprising ways, from businesses hoping to boost seaweed harvests in the face of climate challenges, from pioneers in the industry and from the World Bank about what needs to happen for the seaweed economy to flourish. Those who are farming seaweed are richer, in this case, are richer than those who are not farming seaweed. You don't need fertilizer or pesticides or herbicides of any sort. You also don't need to water it. So it's just the sun and the ocean. And the only thing you need is a clean ocean and you can farm your crop. So in that sense, it's it's beautiful. We're trying to get this whole idea of seaweed moving away from just being a Southeast Asia focus into Africa, into Latin America, into other parts of the world where there is huge opportunities for growth. That's all coming up in the table for 10 billion from the World Bank. So when I was telling people that we can make products out of seaweed and we can eat seaweed, they didn't understand me. They thought I was talking about something that cannot be done. That's marine biologist Dr. Flower Masuya. Born in the Kilimanjaro area of Tanzania, she hadn't really thought that much about seaweed before attending university. She's now one of the world's foremost seaweed scientists. 
Flower is the founder and chairperson of the Zanzibar Seaweed Cluster Initiative, working with seaweed farmers in innovative farming and value addition. She tells me that early in her career, it was a struggle to explain to people why seaweed mattered. But I persevered because I already saw that seaweed is a, is a crop, is a plant that is helping especially women. And I dedicated my time to, to do research so that I can help these women. So I started to speaking to one group that was laughing at me. And then later I, I started making the first product, you know, like seaweed soap, like making the seaweed powder, and then cooking the seaweed a little bit, making juice, salad. So they, at, at last they saw, oh, so it, it is possible to eat seaweed. It is possible to use seaweed for uh, to make products, and then other farmers joined, joined, joined. And now we have more than uh, thirty groups that are producing uh, seaweed products, and they are actually cooking seaweed at home and so on. I, I can say that I have created created because they were not there. More than five hundred small scale processors throughout the country who are making such kind of of seaweed products. So this is something that I am really proud of. The seaweed is, uh, has proved to be a very good livelihood enhancer. It has changed the lives of the women who are farming seaweed because we see that uh, if we compare the women who are farming seaweed, we see them uh, having money. For the seaweed industry, we are talking about, uh, I mean, more than 30,000 farmers in the whole of Tanzania and 80% or above of these are women. So it is the third uh, largest industry that brings foreign money, preceded by uh, tourism and the, the, the clove trade, the traditional clove, clove trade. And it also contributes up to 7.6% uh, of the GDP. Flower has been instrumental in establishing Tanzania's seaweed economy, which is, especially in Zanzibar, part of the government's push for investment in the blue economy and to boost livelihoods for women. Here's Zanzibar's Sada Saloum, the Minister of State for Finance and Planning, speaking at the recent World Bank IMF annual meetings in Morocco. We have what we call the blue economy. The blue economy means that we have to take advantage of the resources surrounding us. Uh, we have quite a substantial uh, number of women engaging in seaweed farming in which uh, the government is believed that to enhance those women. We have around, uh, around 50,000 women in, in, in that, and we have uh, capacitated them by providing them with the facilities and equipment mm -hmm. necessary for them mm -hmm. to be in that in, in the sector. We'll come back to Flower a little later on, but first, let's get the global picture from the World Bank. Yeah, hi, Sarah. My name's Chris Brett. I wear a few hats at the World Bank. I sit in the agriculture and food global practice. I'm the global lead for agribusiness, which means I do a lot of work and support to our portfolio looking at value chain investments. I also run and work on several of the trust funds that the World Bank has. So, for example, we're going to be talking about seaweed and that comes under our Pro Blue Trust Fund. Great to have you with us, Chris. Um, so you've been involved in this fascinating report. Explain to me what the seaweed market is now and what were you looking at in the report? You know, we're aware of seaweed as a commodity or as a crop that people consume. It's very well known, not just in sushi, you know, across Asia in particular, but also a growing consumption of seaweed across Europe 
and North America. Currently, 97% of the global seaweed production, which is 35.1 million tons, 97% of that is actually farmed, you know, produced by smallholders and uh, medium to large scale companies in the sea as a commodity. But also only about 3% of the seaweed coming into the market is actually from wild harvest. We felt at the World Bank, it was important to look at where there is huge opportunity for seaweed to become a substitute or an addition to help us tackle many issues around climate, uh, many issues around gender inclusion, smallholder holder development, but generally looking at these new markets, and we identified 10 markets, which I found you know, personally fascinating when I looked at the opportunity of growth and investment. But I think what we're trying to also do here is we're trying to get this whole idea of seaweed moving away from just being a Southeast Asia focus into Africa, into Latin America, into other parts of the world where there is huge opportunities for growth. So what else can seaweed be used for, Chris? It's not just food, is it? We looked at a whole range of markets from biostimulants, and that's to do with fertilizers, soil nutrition, through animal feeder additives, putting seaweed into those animal um, areas of food as, as a protein, as a support to also mitigate methane. Uh, we see seaweed as a great opportunity to reduce climate impacts of of livestock production across dairy, across beef and other products. We also look at seaweed as a great opportunity to be included in pet food, you know, a huge growth market. And also looking at, you know, nutritional supplements for human consumption, not talk about feed products, but going into a lot of nutrients, a lot of trace elements, um, you know, and, uh, you know, which are very, very relevant to the human diet that we were looking at. But also looking at seaweed as an alternative protein to our diets. But then what I got really interested in, the areas that seaweed can come into, the production of fabrics, the production of bioplastics, you know, a substitute for plastics. We're all very, very concerned globally of the, the impact that, uh, you know, single-use plastics have or multiple-use of plastics have on the environment. And lastly, you know, where, where seaweed can be used in the construction industry. So we built this sort of whole report around 10 new possible markets and emerging markets. And we see that these markets by 2030, with the right public investment, the right private investment, could contribute about $11.8 billion to the growth of this seaweed industry. We'll come back to Chris in a little bit. I was fascinated to hear that seaweed could be used in fabric. So I tracked down a business doing just that. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Alex Goshevsky, uh, one of the co-founders of Keel Labs and the COO. So at Keel Labs, we take seaweed and we turn it into yarn. And our, our first product is Kelsen. So Kelsen is actually a yarn and it's primarily composed of seaweed um, polymers that we extract from uh, a variety of macro seaweed species. Um, so for example, like the kelps of the world, the really big leafy uh, seaweed that you usually see floating around in the ocean. So what goes into making yarn from seaweed? We extract our raw materials from there and um, develop a raw material that um, looks similar to like a Play-Doh or like a thick honey. 
and we extract our filaments from there using a wet spinning process that's been used uh, historically in the fiber manufacturing industry. Um, and from there, we turn those fibers into yarn. Why, Alex, is seaweed um, a good alternative to other materials? Well, if we look at the beginning of life of kelson and just account for the raw materials going into it, um, looking at seaweed specifically, you're working with um, an organism that is growing in the ocean that doesn't require any fertilizer to grow or any water to grow because it's in its natural environment surrounded by it. Um, And it also has the ability to sequester carbon, filter waterways. And just in that alone, if you compare it to cotton, for example, cotton has a long growing season. It requires land, it requires water, it requires fertilizer. Like this is literally the opposite situation. Um, And then when you look at sort of the downstream or the end of life, we also really take into account the impact that our material has when it is no longer needed or it's being disposed of. Um, and so our product is compostable, and that's been really important for us to, to develop to make sure that we aren't just polluting our earth um, with some of these synthetic materials that we're seeing. Thanks so much to Alex. Fascinating to hear about this project. As Alex touched upon, and Chris too, climate change is a big part of this story. But it's a story with two sides. While seaweed may provide climate-conscious alternatives to some materials, It is also at risk from climate change. Let's go back to Tanzania and hear from Dr. Flower. Climate change is causing big challenges uh, in the Tanzanian seaweed industry. Uh, What we are seeing is that uh, over the years, temperature in the water is increasing. Each year, the water temperature is increasing. We see this affecting the seaweed uh, in two ways. First of all, we have diseases, it dies, and then the, the farmers lose this, uh, this product. So uh, because of increase in temperatures, we are seeing seaweed diseases and the, and, the, and the parasites and the epiphytes that are, are affecting the seaweed industry. Apart from that, we see that uh, in some seasons, for example, in the hot season, where temperatures are above 35 degrees centigrade, we find that some of the farmers stop the farming for maybe three months between December and February, just because it is too hot in the shallow water. The farmers are failing to produce, to farm, to cultivate the higher value seaweed because it doesn't grow anymore in these shallow water areas. So what we are we are doing in research and development and all kinds of partners, we are developing technologies. What we have shown is that if the seaweed, the high value seaweed uh, cottony is found in deep water areas where the temperatures are less, uh, conditions are more stable, it, it, will, it can grow, uh, it grows there. And uh, because of this, we, have, we are developing farming technologies. So we need to grow the right seaweed in the right places and to develop technologies to help the crop flourish despite climate challenges. So my name is Harrison Charo Carissa. I'm senior fisheries specialist uh, here at the World Bank in Washington DC at the headquarters. Have a, I have a bias towards aquaculture in my in my dealings. I have been uh, involved uh, for the last uh, two years 
and a half now with the Aqua Invest platform, where we are looking at how to support countries that want to invest in aquaculture. You know, why, why seaweed are important? So they're being used for, for food, but also used for medicine to treat uh, anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial. Uh, they have this, this property. So they are used to treat uh, quite a number of diseases, including skin diseases and so on. They have been used also for as uh, binding agents, uh, the carrageenan and agar. This is used in commercial goods, production of toothpaste, fruit jellies, and, uh, and, and other softeners in organic cosmetics and also in skincare products. Some people are using seaweed to produce ice cream. So, so these are the kind of uh, things that seaweed are used for. And what's needed to help scale up a lot of these uses? Now, there are also other issues. Many countries don't know much about seaweed. So we would want to have more people aware about seaweed, especially in country level. And that they should take seaweed as a, you know, a plant or a, or, a, or a commodity for the future that can be able to improve the lot of, of, of their, the population. So by embracing or investing in seaweed, they will be able to produce more seaweed that will be able to come into these uh, applications that we are talking about. Some of these applications require a lot of biomass. For example, look about stimulants, for example. These, these, are, these are really massive because... Uh, or the nature of what we want to do with it to apply in on farms. So for that reason, there's need for you know for more work to be done when it comes to you know increasing the output, increasing production levels from beyond what we have right now. Carlotta Reeve, project manager at Hatch Innovation Services, an expert in aquaculture and involved in the recent World Bank report, told me this. It it was really important to understand that there's such a gap right now in the supply and demand and that a lot of these new and emerging markets uh, market applications uh, such as bioplastics that is gaining so much attention right now they would really require a large amount of volumes right now to make them commercially viable this is a learning but then also that a lot of these market applications are based on similar compounds so we would easily get into a situation where as soon as kind of a higher value market application becomes available that would cannibalize basically other markets so i'm giving the example maybe of of pet food the pet food industry and animal feed but of course pet food currently can pay a much higher price right so we would rather see seaweed based product developers willing to then sell to the pet food market rather than the animal feed market because they get this premium. So, I mean, it is pretty general market economics, right? Uh, but I think uh, with seaweed, with yeah, so many applications being based on the same compounds, um, this is kind of surprising. Back to Harrison from the World Bank. So what this means is that we need to increase uh, the amount of seaweed production across the world. Uh, there are quite a number of uh, challenges that are, are emerging now because some of the countries that have been producing seaweed over the years now, they are experiencing problems in reduction of uh, seaweed uh, amounts that they are able to produce. Uh, in fact, some, there are some reports that some of the farmers have dropped out, which is a, is a, is a serious uh, issue here. Now, so what needs to be done is to do the right research that will enable the cultivars uh, the seeds to be of the best quality possible, 
there are some countries that are already like I was in South, South Korea the other day and the countries the countries already producing seaweed or doing research to produce seaweed that is uh, more resilient in uh, fighting climate change so this is actually something possible and so this will enable some of the the countries that are that are facing problems of uh, of seaweed production to increase their output now let's hear from another business back in zanzibar Hi, Sarah. Uh, my name is Karcha Shad. You can also call me Clara. And I'm the director and co-founder of Mwani Zanzibar. We're based on the southeast coast of Zanzibar. It's actually a seaweed farming hub. Um, it's a beautiful piece of coastline um, on the east of the island, um, which is conducive to seaweed farming and has been farming seaweed for over 40 years now. I actually stumbled on seaweed about 10 years ago. Um, I used to work in investment banking. Um, I was actually born in Africa, in Zimbabwe, and I grew up in Mozambique, which is on the Swahili coast. And uh, I'd always wanted to come back, so it felt a bit like a homecoming to me. Um, and then packed my suitcases and came here with two children and, and started this project, and that's how it all began. So how does Clara view the role of seaweed in Zanzibar? She thinks there is nuance which needs to be explored. Um, Well, Zanzibar has about 23,000 women farmers. It's mostly uh, work that women do because men tend to be more educated and have more opportunities in the workplace here, whereby it's considered an income for women that helps them pay some of the bills. Some companies and uh, some organizations have have called it a very positive development, the seaweed farming, and in many regards it is, but it is still a very low-income crop, and that's where Mwani Zanzibar has been focused on actually um, improving the incomes of women, and we do that by adding value to the seaweed. So rather than exporting it as a raw material, we add value to the seaweed in the form of skincare. Let's hear from Harrison again from the World Bank. This is a role-based activity, and the, and it does not. Uh, I mean, for farming of seaweed, does not really require much input. I mean, compared with other crop farming. So, for example, there is no use of any fertilizers. There are no need to use any chemicals when it comes to 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 farming seaweed, and so women groups have found it very easy to to invest in in, in you know in the production of seaweed. I mean, making the ropes that are used for, for seaweed and so on. 90% of the seaweed farmers in Tanzania, for example, are women. So it's very heavy on women. Uh, and I said it because of the fact that there isn't much uh, investment that you require. Now, that is the traditional way of doing it inshore, the seaweed farming. But as uh, seaweed farmers want to you know, go deeper into the ocean, there will be need for things like boats, which which becomes now expensive, and so it's important for governments to start thinking about how they can ensure that their women are not they don't get out of the industry because of the challenges that are there. I mean, when the carrying capacity of the inshore areas gets done, it will be important for farmers to be enabled to go further offshore. And for your information, again, seaweed farmers they actually earn more money than. 
the, the agricultural farmers already are, 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 are currently so the potential to bring in more more more, uh, more farmers is quite is quite uh, huge in, in seaweed uh, production uh for example the philippines uh, seaweed farmers earn five times more than the average agricultural farmer in the philippines so this is obviously something that would en- would encourage other people to to invest in in, in seaweed farming so how does Dr. Flower think that women's livelihoods can be boosted and better supported? They're working with farmers to cultivate more than one product in the same area. In areas where uh, currently the farmers are farming seaweed, uh, the, the, the governments are also uh, introducing other, other products like the uh, marine animals. We have uh, seaweed and sea cucumber farmed in the same areas. We have... Uh, Seaweed and the crabs placed uh, nearby. We have going into seaweed and the, and the fish uh, and the shellfish also. So, but we have also a number of uh, organizations, NGOs, initiatives that are really working uh, to advance this. We have a number of NGOs that, are, for example, uh, are training women to swim because you know now we are talking about our women going into deep water areas. So they need swimming lessons to be able to work in the deep water areas, coupled with the acquisition of boats and the other materials helps with the, helps the farmers to, to farm in the, in the deep water areas. We have also even UN organizations that are also helping to produce, for the farmers to produce seaweed in deep water areas. So all these initiatives are good for our farmers to keep farming the seaweed. Let's return now to Chris from the World Bank. I asked him to tell me what barriers need to be overcome to realise the seaweed potential. This is really where, you know, as a World Bank and other development partners, when we come together, you know, we get governments, um, you know, our clients, you know, saying to us, for example, I mean, Indonesia, the Indonesian government, the Honduran government, the Tanzanian government, a whole range of governments are saying to the World Bank, how can you help us to develop this sector? How can we develop this whole new um, structure and marketplace? Well, you know, it, it really does come down to basics. Fundamentally, there's a lot of governments who don't have the right policies or regulations and legal frameworks in place for an industry like seaweed to develop. That sounds sort of very, very basic, but but people or investors need to be able to go to a country and understand what are the trade rules? You know, what are the investment rules? You know, where is seaweed classified by the government? You know, is it an aquaculture product? Is it a uh, seafood product? You know, we have to get really down into those basics and also looking at standards of production. You know, how can we ensure that we bring no environmental or social harm in, you know, in developing this whole industry? When we talk with governments, you know, number one, we've got to put that framework to develop that policy and legal you know, framework that I've been talking about. But more so importantly, developing the, the government's capacity to actually have, for example, a seaweed um, agency that can work with the various parts of, of the other parts of the government, but also to help bring in the private sector, you know, to say, right, how do we take this sector forward? What is needed for incentivizing the private sector to come to certain countries, you know. And then we need to support those smallholders with the right seaweed varieties because we are struggling with a very limited number of of seaweed species that are actually in the marketplace. 
which are good for some of these products or some of these markets that we're recommending. So we need research in the investment and the technologies of seaweeds. We need to work with the governments and invest in the governments in helping to develop that sector, build those standards and also build the licensing so the private sector can come in and say, right, we're now ready to invest. You know, and what does that mean? It means hopefully supporting the local SMEs to produce. And Chris, where do you see the, the really big potential jobs boost from these markets? We do see a lot of areas of job potential across the value chain, not just the production, but working in the processing, working in the marketing, working in the research. And, you know, when we've been developing this report through our multi-stakeholder converse, you know, consultations, we see youth, youth very interested in these new areas of innovation. You know, it's very important that the audience realises, you know, that, that at the moment, the job situation in many emerging countries is a real crisis. There's a very, very high um, proportion of under 16, under 18 year olds in, in the continent of Africa. Around 60%, 55 to 60% of the population is under the age of 18. So that means there's a lot of people coming through the system, you know, looking for jobs, looking for areas to, to work in or areas to invest in in their own right, but also how they can integrate to the markets. And, and it's a very strong theme that we've learned from our agribusiness work is how you integrate smallholders to markets. And we would like to take those learnings into the aqua business space on how do you integrate seaweed producers through processing to national and global market. I'm hoping that the, the, the audience really realizes that, that globally, we're in a real crisis on the cost of fertilizers because of the various crises that have been going on with the Ukraine stroke Russia conflict has led to a huge increase in the cost of fertilizers. And we're looking for areas to support soil production. And there's great examples in India where people have been using uh, fertilizers for quite a long time now. And we're trying to formalize those markets. Really talking to you here about, you know, integrating aquaculture to agriculture. Clara, back in Zanzibar, agrees that seaweed isn't a one-size-fits-all crop and says we need to exercise a note of caution. Which is that seaweed is very often seen as one thing, whereas there are thousands of seaweed types and they all have different properties. And very often it's seen as one crop that can cure everything. I think it's really important to walk into the situation with our eyes open and not just look at the positives of it. Uh, so, for example, in, in Zanzibar, the seaweed farming story is a beautiful one. But, of course, we have to remain wary that uh, a lot of women don't really reap the benefits. So how do we address that? And, and the same goes for the scientific angle of seaweed. It is an absolutely fantastic crop and fantastic for, for the planet, but we have to keep it that way. Clara says that greater investment in education is key. The farm seaweed is having some trouble, and that's also because it's being farmed in areas that uh, very often have shallow water and little shade, whereby it's exposed to uh, increasing water temperatures. And that is becoming increasingly difficult. But there is also a factor that women are not very often supported in learning how to improve their farming techniques. Often a woman will still use 
the same seaweed that has a specific disease and keep on um, using that same seaweed over and over again instead of discarding it and um, obtaining new seaweed. So it's, it's also a question of education and support. The women have two sticks and a rope, and they'll actually tie um, pieces of seaweed to the rope and then let it grow. And as soon as the seaweed is large enough to harvest, they'll break off a little piece and then continue growing it in that way. And it's absolutely fantastic because you don't need fertilizer or pesticides or herbicides um, of any sort. You also don't need to water it. So it's just the sun and the ocean. And the only thing you need is a clean ocean and you can farm your crop. So in that sense, it's, it's beautiful because it reduces the acidification of the ocean and it also helps um, support marine life since uh, there can't be dragnet fishing along those parts of the coastline. And moreover, this type of seaweed that's farmed here has, has had some research done on it and that has shown that it is very good for carbon sequestration as well. So that's very positive. The seaweed story, as Clara says, is evocative and a beautiful one in many cases. The market potential is diverse and expansive, but there needs to be greater investment in the right kinds of farming and climate smart practices to really give the seaweed economy the boost it needs. Let's get some summing up thoughts now from Chris and from Dr. Flower. We need to make sure that those markets that we're talking about developing, you know, give good returns across the value chain. We want to make sure that the producers get a fair share of the value of seaweed. In my case, I see a future bright, uh, but only if we can uh, continue to look for technologies to add value to the seaweed because of this uh, Uh, effects of climate change and so on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Table for 10 Billion podcast supported by the Food Systems 2030 Trust Fund. I'm Sarah Trino and we'll be back soon. Bye.